Hello and welcome to the 2019 Spread the Word podcast. In the three episodes of this series, we speak to the winner and two highly commended authors of the 2018 London Short Story Prize, which aims to find the best short stories from emerging writers in the capital. In this episode, you will hear Alison Dominguez's interview with the Australian writer Kira McPherson. Her short story, A Complete History of Portraiture, was highly commended by the jury of last year's London Short Story Prize. A Complete History of Portraiture illustrates the complicated and intimate emotional state of a young artist who lusts after an older politician. The story depicts the struggle of age difference, how societal roles reflect political identity, and ultimately how love and infatuation supersede all. Here is Alison's conversation with Kira McPherson. Kira McPherson, welcome to the 2019 Spread the Word podcast. We are delighted to have you. Thanks. Can you please start us off by reading the beginning of your short story, A Complete History of Portraiture? Sure. There was a painting of a woman with black hair in the gallery, and it made me think of you, not without embarrassment, because I know that you are not art and would not like to be compared to it. This comparison tends to reveal more about the observer than the observed, you would say, which makes it ineffectual as a means of communication. You believe analogies are about control and should be used sparingly. They wrench you into the perspective of another person, but after the first one, a resistance starts to build. As would be expected, your speeches are as literal as a dog. The picture came into view in a stupid way. An old man was hogging the space in front, forcing people to look around him. At this angle, the face went kite-shaped, the lips caught the light and turned pink. Then he dislodged and it was me looking straight ahead, and it was you in the picture. Thank you so much. Um... I guess the first question I have is concerning the structure of the story. Um, it's actually the first thing that jumped out at me when I read it. Um, it's laid out in 35 short paragraphs that are all numbered. And it's quite an unusual way to structure a short story. Did you know right from the start that it's how you wanted it to be structured or develop over time in reflection of the text? No, it took me ages to come up with this structure. Um, and I guess it... I think it... Originally, it was just kind of a more standard narrative that kind of began in an art gallery and then sort of went on. Um, and then partly through editing and partly through expanding it, I think eventually I, I like the idea of doing a kind of triptych, right? And also that's kind of like art, right? Art has yeah, exactly. triptychs in yeah. it. <laughs> this is my process. Um, and so I guess it gradually became more and more fragmented. Um, and I can't, I can't actually remember what made me think these very small paragraphs were what would work for it. I think it partly came up through editing and, and taking things out and whittling it down, but it also allowed me to uh, move through time in a really freeing way, I guess. It allowed me to show um, the complete span of the relationship, I guess, without having to go into detail, partly because the nature of the relationship, I think, uh, asks it makes you think of a lot of questions around what, what is the genesis of it, how did this this come to be, and I guess the nature of the dissolution as well is kind of ambiguous. And I guess I wanted to address enough of both of those things for it to be satisfying, but not really bog myself down in the detail of the exact logistics. And I think um, the the short paragraphs are kind of key to that. So you mentioned art, um, and as we've actually seen through the title and the beginning of the story, art clearly plays an important role. Um, the narrator herself is an unsuccessful young artist and the relationship she has with the older woman in the story, they meet at an art gallery, which they continue to revisit. 
There's also the fact that the narrator talks about the portrait as a reoccurring theme. Can you maybe talk to us a little bit about your interest in portraiture as a metaphor? So it really came from, um, well, I read this really great book, basically. Um, it was called, it's called Portraiture. It's by a woman named Shira West. Um, and it kind of, well, to me, because I didn't really know a lot apart from going to like the portrait gallery and really enjoying it. Um, so I read this book and it gives you a sort of overview, I guess, of like portraits in art history, but also kind of goes into what makes the portrait kind of different to other types of art. Um, and the one thing that she talks about in that book that I really remember is that the idea that each portrait has this kind of matrix of power that governs it and that is you have I think she uses the phrase the painter the sitter the patron and the viewer so that's like every portrait has that kind of complex interdynamic over it um and I enjoyed the idea of writing a story that kind of had some of that in it or maybe had portraits in it and that is the stuff around it I'm not saying that like the story successfully deploys that concept but I think for me that was a really interesting way of thinking about it um and I suppose but there's a kind of a trick with it, isn't there? Because portraits are really visual and obviously a short story is not. Um, and I think originally when I wrote this story, I got kind of bogged down in like describing the picture. And I think as it currently stands, there's not really much of that in there. And I guess I wanted to think more about um, the actual viewing, the active viewing, um, galleries as a space as well. Uh, and I think these are more in the story than an actual kind of description of art. So you said that you were inspired by this book about portraiture, um, which is a specific type of art, specific. Um, Was it art in general that drew you to that book, um, or how did you come upon that? I honestly have no memory of what made me want to read that book. I was working at a university at the time, and I think I just had access to a lot of books, which I know libraries still exist outside of universities but um it made it easy (laughs) no it's true um but it made it easy to just kind of like pick up a topic and then go and just find a book that seemed reasonably accessible so I can't remember where it came from probably it came from the idea I think I knew I wanted to write a story that had some kind of um recurring object or painting in it and I liked the idea of a portrait because portraits are kind of just inherently creepy as well right this idea that you have like pictorial representations of actual living people so I think I kind of knew I wanted to do that but reading reading the book kind of expanded I guess how I was thinking about it it also like introduced me to actual artists who were famous for portraits which is quite helpful I guess in thinking about them because I knew nothing okay I really want to talk about the characters in the story in particular, the age difference and how that seems to be a big reason that the two women are attracted to each other. So the narrator uh, herself, she's about maybe in her mid-20s, whereas the MP is probably twice as old. And to me, it seemed that both of them seemed to enjoy the power dynamic that came with that age difference within the relationship. Would you agree that that's present throughout the story? Yeah, I think there is definitely meant to be a sense that the attraction is partly fueled by that difference, right? Um, and because the difference in age reflects a difference in power, I guess, that they both have, as you said, um, not just that, of course, the older person sort of has more power, right, but is more established, has um, a career that is also constraining, I think. And yeah. I think um, there is a freedom that the younger person has that enables her to do things like go to this house for a weekend randomly, um, as she does in the story, um, that, of course, the the older person could never do. Um, So I guess it's not necessarily that they're attracted to each other because of the age difference, but um, it's certainly like a kind of governing dynamic between them 
So it kind of like almost upholds the relationship in a way. Yeah, I think so, even as it kind of doomed... Well, I don't know if it's a thing that dooms it, but it certainly is doomed from the beginning. Yeah. Um, maybe that's just more of a symptom of, of why it's going to be unsuccessful than the cause. So, apart from the obvious, the age difference also manifests itself within the fact that they have opposing roles within society, which sort of influences their opposing political views as well. And while they have these opposing political views, that doesn't really seem to compromise their relationship, but it does provide political undertones for your story. Was that your intention when you wrote it? Yeah, the story does have political undertones in the sense of there there are these kind of ambient, this ambient suggestion that they have different views, I guess, or make, but it's, I don't think it's spelled out explicitly. Um, but in some ways, I guess what I wanted to convey is um, that you have this relationship that does have, that politics is kind of in the background too, um, but in some ways because the relationship is kind of proceeding in a bubble in a way, um, it sort of stays in the background and in some ways um, the sort of weird uh, containment of the relationship pushes that stuff further into the background, I guess. Um, and I guess it is a source of conflict yeah, I think it is a source of conflict between them, but it kind of gets buried amongst sort of everything else that is happening. Right. And in some ways, the sort of narcissism of the character is, I think, her sort of pretending that it that it doesn't matter, that right. they do have this difference. So there's actually a section of the story where the narrator realizes that she has completely opposing views to the older woman that she's in a relationship with, but she kind of also doesn't really care at when she realizes this. Would you mind reading us that section of the story? So this part is kind of in the middle of the story and it's the narrator watching the public figure that she's having a, rela a relationship with uh, on TV. So. I hate this stupid show. Combs in your hair or tape or something to contain it. This is an excellent metaphor for whatever is taking place, a series of curated outbursts. It makes me sick to see you. Nausea. How do you do it? It seems to me truly amazing to know the exact size and shape of your labia and that this remains constant whether you are on television or not. Aliens might come to Earth and ask me to draw it from memory. Your strategy of containment would be powerless. They would force it out of me and then what? It would never suit me to be a spouse of some importance. I would always be thinking thoughts of this kind, the sound you make when you urinate in the morning. Do they know that you are liable to sigh? Perfect contentment. Nothing like this soapy riot. This poundland lather. You have not changed your personal views from a year ago, you were saying. But the fact is we live in a representative democracy. You do not always, at any given moment, represent yourself. Other people will hear that and think that you are not a straightforward person. But you sound so much like you then, it makes my head snap. It occurs to me I don't agree with you on anything, and I want you just as much after this thought as I did before. When I first read the story, I found it extremely relatable, and I thought it was because I saw my past relationships within the characters, but I actually think it might be how the narrator talks directly to the woman she desires rather than to the reader. How did you decide on that strategy, or were there other works that influenced you in regards to the, how it was written? I think the idea that you found it relatable is really interesting. I think that's kind of the beguiling nature of not just like first person 
like I narrated stuff, but that like mode of address, that second person you, it is really intimate. Um, and I have used it before and really the reason that I like using it or probably just the reason that I started using it is that it allows you to evade a lot of the usual kind of infrastructure of like writing a character right like you kind of just get up bypass all of that and just introduce the idea of this other person and you introduce them uh with a lot of intimacy it's not you d so in some ways it's kind of like a, a cheating form right because you you don't have to establish the relationship there already is one by using the mode of address that is you and you also don't have to describe the person you don't have to say they had black curly hair or something like that uh so it came quite naturally to me and it is something that i use a lot uh, and I guess I do think it is because it allows you to just move very quickly into relationships and people, I think. So when you're writing about that, it's useful. That is actually something that um, probably I just took directly from a lot of Ali Smith short stories. Right. Probably when I first read those, I hadn't like read anything that used you. Um, and it is really intimate. I think also there's kind of something to it that I'm not so consciously doing. But obviously when you use you, you avoid like gendered language as well. Mm, so exactly. like I'm... I'm aware of that, even though I don't really want to hide that the story is about two women. I'm not trying to, like, be mm -hmm. coy about that. But, of course, at the beginning, there is a coyness because, yeah. you know, you don't realise that until a couple of paragraphs or pages in. So I guess I just want to kind of understand, like, how you came about writing about this theme or this story in particular. So I think this story came about basically because I just smushed together a bunch of different ideas I had that were like not really working very well in isolation. I kind of knew I wanted to write something set in a gallery. I kind of had this um, developing or sort of one-off interest in portraiture specifically um, and I very much wanted to write quite explicitly about relationships between women which I had done in other stories uh, but this was probably really the first time I did it in such like an explicit way I guess yeah. both in the sense that the relationship is you know there's no coyness with with the language I guess as I said but also like there's overt descriptions of the yeah. things that they the do together is about the relationship between two women yeah yeah so um and I very much wanted to write about that and kind of separately I had this idea of writing a story that was about a kind of affair that I imagined at the time these two sort of public figures would have and like how that would work logistically and then I guess that wasn't very interesting to me so eventually it changed and um, I guess that kind of parody between them was replaced by a sort of younger woman, an older woman, an established woman, a kind of younger, less successful woman as well. So in regards to the story and London as a setting, um, do you have a particular relationship to London or was there a reason that you thought London might be an intriguing setting for a short story? I think London, like this story couldn't be set anywhere other than London, partly because what it is about is the kind of collision between people from maybe not necessarily different backgrounds, but in different stages of their lives. And that is obviously very much like a, a city experience and like a London one, especially because London has all these different like functions, entertainment, politics um, that kind of converge on it. Unlike say like American cities or Australian cities where I'm from, um, they don't have that kind of complexity to them. So London was the natural setting. There was something kind of weird for me though, in writing this story, I felt very much like I had to, I was like imitating the the view of someone who is more local than I am um, 
so that was like an interesting challenge, I guess. Yeah, that didn't come out at all in the story. I thought it was really, really natural. Like um, it's quite an English story, which yeah, I say as someone who is not English. I mean, I'm also not English, <laughs> no, of and course. I definitely felt that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and in that sense I felt um, almost like I was cheating, but again, I think that is just because the first-person mode makes you feel that you're writing in some ways more intimately than you kind of are, right? Yeah. It like hides a lot of yeah. the artifice and makes it seem more like autobiography, which this is not. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess as another non-English person, I mean, I've lived in London for a while, but reading it, I, de- I did feel like I was English, almost. In, in a <laughs> That's such a high compliment. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. I think you nailed it. So you said you always wanted to be a writer. Did you know what kind of writing you wanted to do, or is that something that you sort of learned over time? I think... Well, for me at least, I guess I always have had an idea of what kind of writing I like and therefore, to some extent, what writing I would I would like to write like or imitate, I guess. But I think there's probably, there's this weird process that at least I've gone through where um, you sort of have this idea of who you like and how you might write and then you kind of have to actually discover the way you are writing, which often there's like a really big gap between those things, whether because it's like not as good as your expectations or because, um, you know, it's just different. So... I guess, for example, some of the writing, I really, really like Ali Smith. Um, and I think I, especially because I started off writing primarily short stories, um, I really liked her short stories, which to me have this combination of like, they're very banal, they're about kind of just everyday stuff, um, but also have a lot of like weirdness in them. And I guess when I first started writing, I was definitely not doing that, I guess. It just took me a really long time to not write things that were kind of imitative but of something that I didn't really know what I was imitating I guess like I wrote a lot of stories that were like kind of like comedic but in a sort of silly way and I I don't know that just I tend to do less of that now but I felt like that was kind of an important part of just kind of working through and and getting closer to accessing the type of story that I want to write and and this one that we're talking about today is is more in that I guess kind of like banal but slightly weird or strange vein can you tell us a little bit about uh, any projects you're currently working on? So I'm working on a novel at the moment. It's set in Perth in Western Australia, uh, and it chronicles the university years of the main character. That's all I'll say about it. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about anything you're currently reading or any recommendations you might have for our listeners? Oh, my gosh. I wish I had prepared this. Uh, so I am... I read a lot, which I'm sure everyone on this podcast will say that. Uh, I try to like alternate between fiction and nonfiction. Um, I'm trying to just think what I have been reading. Okay, what just last book you read? The last book I read actually was... So the book I'm reading at the moment is How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. It's about um, LSD and other psychedelics and like how they can impact consciousness and his kind of own experience like trying them uh and it's very good I'd heard a lot about it but it is just like really interesting it has like all those elements of nonfiction that you want which is um kind of like obscure trivia um and like a kind of overall narrative of like his I assume kind of eventually coming around to to trying them and like it's kind of a history of psychedelics in American culture so that's kind of cool that's a good book um, the last fiction book I read was, gosh, I can't even remember. <laughs> oh, I read um, Murmur by Will Eaves. That was a great book. It's kind of like about um, a character who is similar to Alan Turing. Um, and it's just told in this really, really inventive way. So that's a great book as well that I would recommend. 
All right, well, thank you so much, Kira, for coming and being on our podcast. We really enjoyed having you. Thank you for having me. This is my first podcast. Really? You would never guess. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Really, really well done. Thank you so Thanks. much. Thank you. This podcast is a co-production of Spread the Word and London College of Communication. This episode was hosted by Alison Dominguez and produced by Benjamin Mayer. Intro by Ben Farmer. Our theme music is by Lobo Local. <laughs>